0: Good morning, Northview. It's really good to see you all this morning. Um, as Will said, I'm Pastor Kat, um, or Katarina if you're my mom. Um, and it's just a, a joy to be here with you. I'm the, the family resource pastor is my official title here, and it just means that I get to connect with families and I provide some resources and, and all that sort of thing to kind of keep you guys up to date with what's going on here at Northview. So um, that's, that's what I do. Does everybody have power back? Yes? Thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you, Jesus, for those lion men and women who have worked tirelessly. Um, I'm always amazed at certain people's roles, but, man, when I've seen all those hydro trucks out there this week, and even um, we were talking to uh, hydro personnel, and they were saying Alabama, New York City, New Brunswick, they all just came to Ontario to help serve our community and our province uh, through this storm. So thank you, Jesus, for all those men and women who have worked so hard. Um, we have four young children, as you may know, and laundry is a very integral part of my day-to-day life. And um, we live um, a little bit outside of the city of Peterborough, and so we're on well water. And so power is one thing. I can go without lights. We've got flashlights. But, man, I missed my washing machine so much this past week. <laughs> so when that came back on on Wednesday for us, I was like, oh, it's so good to do laundry. Um, but I, I don't know about you, but I was the recipient of hospitality this past little while as our power has been out, and um, I'm sure you probably, and I hope you probably experienced it as well, but it kind of leans into our talk for this morning, which is hospitality, Um, and I kind of got a little creative, I don't know if you can read this or not, but it says hospitality 101, see what I did there with the fork and the knife and the plate in the middle, right? Sadly, I had to explain this to everybody, I showed, so I don't think it was as clear as I was hoping it was going to be, but you guys see it now that I said it, right? Yeah, okay, Perfect. But, yeah, we we graciously were welcomed into my parents' home and they let us use their laundry machine and they fed us and they took care of our kids and all that sort of thing. And so, um, hospitality is just such a a welcome gift and something that I received this week. So, as we're talking about this, I want you to think back 10, 20 maybe years ago, even five years ago, uh, before like pandemic, not even referring to that specifically, but I want you to think about how you experienced hospitality maybe when you were growing up years, teenage years, young adults, all that sort of thing, how you experienced hospitality back then. And then I want you to think about like five years ago. Was it different? I don't know about you, but for me, when I was growing up as a kid, we always had people at our house. And my parents are hospitable people, so maybe that's the reason why, but honestly, like Sundays after church, we had people at our house. Sunday night after church, because that's what you did when you were a kid. You went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night that's what you did. But Sunday night, we'd have people at our house. Sometimes during the week, we'd have people at our house. And if we didn't have people at our house, we were at somebody else's house during the week. It was just what you did when you especially kind of grew up in the church. Did anybody experience that same sort of situation where you were just constantly having people in and out of your home, or you were constantly in and out of people's homes? And like I said, like ignore the pandemic if you can, but I think the hospitality, the gift of hospitality that that muscle of hospitality has been a little bit weakened over the past little while. Do you agree? But I strongly believe it's something we need to bring back. Amen? Yes. Not just because I enjoy food. I really believe there's such good things that come out of hospitality. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it this morning. So uh, it's interesting because hospitality, the term hospitality literally comes from the term hospital. Hospitality, hospital, see? It's not that hard. Um, but it literally means hospital. It, it's the receiving and the treating of strangers and guests in a warm, friendly, and a generous way. And it's beautiful because it says the treating of guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, and generous way. That's our term that we're working with this morning, our working definition. At the heart of hospitality is caring well for others in a way that fills them up um, physically, right? Nourishment. Emotionally, they're gathering together with people, and spiritually, there's something spiritual about getting together with people, especially when you're getting together with other believers. Something so impactful and so important about it. Now, you may have heard about um, hospitality being referred to as a gift. Does anybody here ever think that you have the gift of hospitality? Maybe somebody's mentioned that to you, you have the gift of hospitality? Excellent. Maybe you enjoy having people into your home. It brings you joy having people come and stay at your house or in for a meal or onto your deck. You look forward to it. You love hosting people. That's probably an indication that you have the gift of hospitality. And it is a spiritual gift, absolutely. But I would go to argue that it's probably a little bit more than just a gift. I think it's actually a mandate. For those who confess to love Jesus Christ and those who have committed to following Jesus with their entire lives, I think we now have a mandate to live like Jesus and to therefore care well and love others in a warm, friendly, and generous way. Do you agree? Yeah. And so if you don't have the gift of hospitality, perhaps you might have to work at it a little bit more. Maybe it doesn't come as naturally. Maybe you kind of have to psych yourself a little bit to to have somebody over into your home. But it's such a gift to receive, having people come, and it's also a gift to give, to have people come into your home. Um, Like I said, hospitality is considered to be maybe an assumed practice for those who love Jesus. And so if you profess to love Jesus and follow him, you should be someone who's seeking to offer hospitality on a regular basis. Now, we're gonna take a look at some of the biblical examples and some things that might hinder our ability to practice hospitality. Um, and also what would help us to practice hospitality and what benefits come from it. But first, I want to do something a little different here this morning with you. And as you may know, I served as a children's pastor for a number of years. And one thing we do in children's ministry that kind of wanes as you get into student ministry, and especially adult ministry, is uh, the memorization of Scripture. And the way that we often encourage children to memorize Scripture, and one way that's really effective and something I want to do is we sing Uh, these words together, and it helps us to memorize scripture. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you stand up and sing this morning. (laughs) For your benefit and for mine, there's a reason I'm not in the worship team. Let's just put it that way. Um, But I am going to ask you, if you can stand up, if you're comfortable doing that, if you're able to do that, go ahead and stand up with me. I have a key verse I really, really want us to learn this morning because I think there's so much value in having God's word in our hearts, and so it changes the way that we think and changes the way that we act, Right? God's word hidden in our hearts, it does powerful things. So let's go ahead. We're going to say it maybe three times together. Um, Incidentally, repetition is also the way I memorize my grocery list on the way to the grocery store. It works really well if you ever want to try it. We're going to say this together at the count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Let's say it again. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, ready to help them, always be eager to practice hospitality. One more time just to really get it. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to... Always be eager to practice hospitality. You guys did great. You can grab a seat. Usually at this point in children's ministry, I'd start handing out candy as a prize, but you guys aren't, you don't need that, right? No. Now, like I said, I realize we're coming out of this extended season where we've been told not to socialize for extended periods, not to have other people in our homes who are outside of our immediate family or outside of our bubbles. Do you guys remember the bubbles? Yeah? Seems like a long time ago, but we remember the bubbles, right? Um, but, It's just so important that we start flexing that hospitality muscle again. And maybe you think, "Uh, you know, I'm too busy. I don't have time to have people come over to my house. Or maybe you think that you're just too involved with other things, or maybe that your house is not big enough, or your house is not clean enough, or that your children or your husband are well-behaved enough. There's just so many reasons we can come up with. I'm just kidding, Jay, you're a very well-behaved man. Um, But I wanted to take a few minutes and walk through some things that might deter us from being hospitable people. And the first one is no time. Anybody ever said that? I have no time? Just me? Okay, just me. Um, But no time. We feel like we have no time to be hospitable. We think about the time we'll have to set aside to give out. And what we'll have to give up to give out to other people And sometimes it's a little intimidating to say, I just don't have time for that kind of stuff. I'm busy. I've got so much going on in my life. But there's something that I've learned over um, the years. And um, for these uh, more educated people, this sentence is really going to bother you, but it's going to help us remember this. It says, you have time for what you make time for. Okay? You have time for what you make time for. And it's very true. We all have the same amount of time in a day, right? Same amount of hours. Some of us sleep less than others, but still, we all are allotted the same amount of time. And it reminds me of uh, Psalm 90, verse 12, when the psalmist writes, to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, to really, really make the most of the time that we have. You know, one of my least favorite features on my iPhone is the weekly report log. Um, I hate it. And it comes up on Sunday mornings, believe it or not. It came up this morning on my way to church. And it kind of tells me just how much time I've wasted on my phone. Let's be serious, right? And if I really, really want to get into the nitty-gritty, it will break it down for me and say, you spent this much time on the phone, like talking. You spent this much time texting, this much time scrolling through your social media or scrolling through the news. And it's just this reminder to me that this is how much time I've spent on my phone, on a screen, or talking to somebody. So I guess that's a good thing. Um, rather than in face-to-face conversation or face-to-face interaction. Um, but it's great and it's helpful because it reminds me we all have the same amount of time and this is much how, how much time you spend on your phone. Because sometimes it's easy to just kind of not realize how much time you're wasting or how much time you're spending. You know, I view hospitality a bit like exercise. Do we have anybody in here that really loves exercise? All right. I, yeah, there you go. There's a few, yeah? Yeah, we won't judge you until now, and like later. Yeah. Um, I do enjoy exercise, and I do try and move my body, and I'm thankful that God's given me a body that I can move my arms and my legs. I am thankful for that. But sometimes, if I'm being honest, I have to kind of like psych myself up a little bit to exercise. I have to get out of my headspace and say, like, I know it's good for me. I'm just going to do it. And nine times out of ten, I feel so much better while I'm doing it and after I'm doing it. And the great thing with exercise and hospitality is the more often you do it, the more you enjoy it. True story. The more often you get into this habit of exercising, the more often you get into this habit of hosting people, you just develop such a love for doing it. And it becomes easier to do, I promise. Do you know there's been uh, numerous, wow, numerous studies done? Um, there was a, an Oxford study done, and there was a Columbia University study done, and it just shows um, about how when people eat together, there's this release of oxytocin in the brain, which is more commonly known as like the love hormone. When we share a meal with somebody, it literally helps us digest better. So, eating by yourself, you're getting nourished, that's good, that's important, but when you eat with somebody else, your digestion is better. Your body literally does better when you're in community with others. How incredible is that? That's just a God thing, isn't it? God's designed our bodies so specifically, and he knows that we were made for community, and he designed our bodies to do better when we're a community with other people. Okay, next one I wanted to talk about was, oh, I forgot that slide. There we go. Um, Fear of what people will think of your home or your meal. Is this resonating with anybody? Um, I need you to be honest with me here because if you're not honest, I guarantee your spouse or the person sitting next to you will be honest. Um, but is anybody here get a little bit frazzled, a little crazy when someone's about to come to their house? Um, maybe for a visit you get a little crazy with the vacuum cleaner or, yeah, thank you, Diane. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I will be honest with you. I come from a long line of slightly neurotic women when it comes to all things tidy Um, My dad always jokes that when he gets up in the middle of the night to go pee, by the time he gets back to his bed, his side of the bed has been made. Um, (laughs) And like my mom, I I really have a hard time focusing when there's laundry on the couch, there's toys on the floor, dishes in the sink. Um, But it's it's sad because sometimes I can get distracted by the task of hosting rather than enjoying and embracing the joy of hosting and joy of sharing hospitality. And there's this character in the Bible that I've always really related to, and somewhat embarrassingly so, because I feel like her portion of the story really highlights what it looks like to get distracted by the task, so much so that you miss the purpose. And if you've been around church any length of time or explored the Bible much, you likely know where I'm headed with this, but just humor me. And we're going to look at Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 38, and we'll read the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus together. Um, if you forgot your Bible or uh, you just don't feel like opening it or pulling it up on your phone, I do have it on the screen behind me. Um, so we're going to read it together here. So Luke 10:38 to 42, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? I think I've said those words before. I really do. Uh, Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Like I'm guilty of doing sometimes, Martha sadly allowed herself to get distracted by the task of hospitality, that she missed the purpose and the joy of hospitality. So often, preparing for guests to come is a bit stressful, but I'm learning that what I prepare for them to eat or whether or not my floor was vacuumed recently or not matters much, much less than just the act of hospitality. It never fails that once our company is in our home, it's so good to have them there that after they leave, my heart always feels so full and my spirit refreshed. It's just such a good feeling to be in community with people. All right, the next one I wanted to talk about was, I keep forgetting my slides here, but the fear of being known or being rejected. I showed my daughter the slideshow because she was with me when I was putting it together, and she goes, oh, when did you take that picture of yourself? I thought, that's not me. (laughs) Um, The fear of being known and rejected. Um, This is a very significant fear, especially for many of those who might struggle with loneliness. And I think... If we're honest with ourselves, everybody struggles with loneliness at some point in their lives, right? You know, Mother Teresa, I remember reading uh, someplace what she had said, and I might be misquoting this slightly, but um, of all the diseases that I've known, loneliness is the worst. And that's Mother Teresa on the streets of Calcutta, right? But loneliness is the most um, awful disease. When we invite someone to our home, onto our decks, into relationship with us, we invite them to know us. And for some people, that can be incredibly hard to do, right? We might feel that once someone gets to know us, they might reject us, or they might wish that they never have gotten into relationship with us. It's Kind of like a romantic relationship, right? You make the ask, sometimes you might get rejected, sometimes it might turn into something wonderful, but you have to risk it a little bit in order to see if there's something there as far as an incredible relationship with people. Um, but here's what I found to be true over the times that when we open our homes and, we heart, uh, and our hearts to save people. Uh, and join in community and allow others to benefit from getting to know us, and we benefit from getting to know them, something wonderful can happen. And that's one of the most amazing things about being part of a church family, you know. Church family is a great opportunity to be known. It's generally speaking, and I pray that it's a safe space for people. That when you have someone from your church family into your home, you can be known, right? And I, people will ask sometimes, and I'll say it, like the best way to get plugged into a church and to be known in a church is by one, volunteering, right? And two, inviting someone into your home. And if you really, really want to knock it out of the park, you do both, right? Getting to be known and allowing yourself to be known to other people and, and knowing them, there's so much beauty that can come out of those relationships. Well, um, sometimes I should mention too, though, There's sometimes you have to be a little bit persistent in your hospitality, do you know what I mean? You ask somebody and say, hey, do you want to come over to my house later? And they say, ah, well, uh, uh." And you might have to say, no, no, come on, come on. We'd love to have you come. So you do have to be persistent sometimes. And I, there is a line between being persistent and being creepy, and you don't want to cross that line, right? <laughs> if they say no a couple times, just... It's no, okay. Uh, but move on to the next person, ask somebody else, right? And then maybe in a couple months, ask again, and their answer might change. But sometimes people just need that extra push, that extra request, and uh, and they would feel so warmly welcomed. You know, there's so many wonderful examples of hospitality in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's so much um, goodness placed on hospitality in the in the biblical text. But one of uh, one story that I really love is found in Genesis chapter 18, and it's Abraham. And we find Abraham resting outside of his tent at, it says, the hottest part of the day. And um, actually, you know what, let's just go ahead and read it together. So it says, Genesis 18, God appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Marmor, which is not a golf course, by the way, Um, while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent. It was the hottest part of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing there. He ran from his tent to greet them and bowed down before them. He said, Master, if it pleases you, "'Please stop for a while with your servant. "'I'll get some water so you can wash your feet, "'rest under this tree. "'I'll get some food to refresh you on your way, "'since your travels have brought you across my path.' "'They said, "'Certainly, go ahead.' "'Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. "'He said, "'Hurry, get three cups of our best flour. knead it and make bread.' "'Then Abraham ran to the cattle pen "'and picked up a nice, plump calf "'and gave it to the servant "'who lost no time in getting it ready.' He got curds and milk and brought them and the calf that had been roasted and set the meal before the men and they stood under the tree while they ate. Um, It's incredible because Abraham really sets the bar high here, right? On what hospitality looks like. And I kind of tried to highlight a few portions of this passage because it really, like he ran from his tent. He didn't even just walk up casually and say, Hey guys, how's it going? Would you maybe like to come over? He ran too. These gentlemen, and he didn't even realize that they're angels, right? It says later on in the passage, he begins to realize, but he doesn't know who he's talking to there. He's just three men. And then if it pleases you, stop for a while with your servant. In some translations, it's almost like, please don't pass me by. Don't let me miss this opportunity to host you. Don't let me miss this privilege to host you. This just genuine extension of hospitality. And then he goes on and says he hurried into his tent, get our best flower. He doesn't even know these guys. And he's saying, bring out our best things and he goes and gets the best calf and gets all these things ready for these gentlemen. He did so well to serve these these angels. And now um, we've talked a bit about what might hold us back or hinder us from flexing that hospitality muscle, and I wanted to now talk about um, how it looks to have hospitality helps, what helps us, or how hospitality helps us. So hospitality helps to heal wounds and open hearts. Isn't that beautiful? Hospitality is powerful. It's a powerful gift and a powerful mandate that we've been given. Have you ever noticed how happy food makes people? Right? I don't know about you, food makes me incredibly happy. It really does. Um, You think about maybe having a hard conversation with someone or a meeting with someone. Now, picture having that meeting or that conversation over a bowl of pasta, or if you're a meat eater, like a good hamburger or a steak. Okay. now picture that same conversation happening at an office or a desk, where you're at opposite sides, no food. There's a difference there, right? I guarantee you, I'd put money on it, but I'm not a betting person, um, that the conversation over a meal, especially a good meal, would go so much smoother than the conversation at a board table where there's no food. Something about having that food together, enjoying that meal together, deepens your trust levels with each other and also just deepens that relationship makes things a little bit easier to talk about. It's incredible how powerful it is. Um, our daughter, our middle daughter, we've got four girls, but our middle daughter Geneva is the sweetest kid in the world. Um, she's just so lovable and cuddly and, and just a really sweet girl. And um, But she wakes up, really early. Like, I wake up early, Geneva's always up before me, and if I try and wake up earlier, she wakes up earlier, so it doesn't really work. Um, But she wakes up very, very early, and by the time the rest of the family is up and we are ready to eat breakfast, Geneva is past the point of hungry. She is now hangry. Have you guys ever heard that term? Yes, where you're angry because you're so hungry, your blood sugar begins to drop, your patience begins to drop, and suddenly you're not your warm, nice self anymore. Well, um, I began realizing this was the issue with Geneva, because I was like, why is she so grouchy? Like, this is so weird. It's not her. And I would begin to leave a snack outside of her door. So in the morning, she just wakes up, opens her door, gets her little snack, goes back into her room and enjoys her little snack. And then by the time the rest of us are ready to go, she's so pleasant and sweet again. It's amazing how much food helps. Um, but there's this story in the Old Testament, the Bible, that I've always loved. Even as a little girl growing up, this has always been one of my favorite stories. And it's found in 1 Samuel 25, and it's the story of David and Nabal and um, David's, or not David's wife at the time, Nabal's wife, Abigail. And um, we pick up the story in, in uh, 1 Samuel 25, and David is kind of rising in power. People are beginning to know who he is, and he's got his band of men with him, and he's a bit of a rebel, from Saul, right? And uh, David finds himself in Nabal's area, his property area. And he's been there for some time, and he and his men have been helping Nabal's men shepherd the sheep, taking care of them, making sure no one steals any animals from them, Um, just really doing a helpful thing for Nabal's men. And now David thinks, you know what? Nabal owes me a favor. I'm going to go cash in on that favor because I've been so kind to him and been helpful to him. And so David sends some deli To Nabal's house to go and talk to Nabal and he is going to request that Nabal donate some food some cattle and some sheep to a feast for David and his men okay so they're probably getting a little hungry they've been out there for a while he would like Nabal to now donate some food towards him and his men so they can have a feast and he thinks that's that's only appropriate right he's been helping him this whole time Uh, but I think he realizes his request is a little bit of a stretch and so he says to his delegates just be polite be polite in your request Um, so Nabal hears this request and Nabal will have nothing of it. Not only does he refuse to give David anything for the feast, he insults David publicly. He denies even knowing David. He says, who is this David guy in verse 10? And he impugns David's integrity as a rebel against Saul. Now, not surprisingly, Nabal's own servants even refer to their their boss as an ill-natured man who no one can speak to him. He's a bit of a hothead, right? This guy's got a bit of a temper. David also has a little bit of a temper. Um, and David hears of this, and he immediately sends, uh, gets ready with 400 armed men to go and slay Nabal and kill every male in his family. Talk about hangry, right? <laughs> There's a little bit more going on in this story, but really, this is getting out of hand. David's about to commit mass murder while Nabal cares more for his pride Um, than about his workers and his family. These two arrogant men are unable to resolve an argument about sheep without spilling blood of hundreds of innocent people. Now, thank God, Nabal's wise-hearted wife, Abigail, thank God for the wives, Hears of what's happening and immediately steps into action. She prepares a feast for David and his men. And verse 18 says that she took two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, we don't know what they were dressed up as, five seas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them onto the donkeys and sends them ahead to David, and she follows behind. Um, she rides out to meet David with this apology that just sets a whole new standard for apology and courtesy in the Old Testament, and with a meal that sets a whole new standard for hospitality in the Old Testament. And yet even that she um, wrapped in this courteous act, she's got some harsh or stern words, these words of truth to give to David, to say like, what are you doing? Why would you even consider sending your men to kill all these men? And he's on the verge of spilling blood, right? Causing this amazing, incredible bloodshed and David's so moved by his, her words, and he apologizes to her, and he abandons his plan to kill Nabal and all the men and the boys. And even thanks Abigail for diverting him from his reckless plan. He says, Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. For as surely as the Lord of God of Israel lives, um, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you'd hurried down to meet me, Truly by morning, there have been nothing left of Nabal, so much as one male. Now, like I said, obviously there's a lot more going on here than just being hangry, but it is incredible how healing a meal can be, how healing the act of hospitality can be, right? Abigail, in her act of hospitality, changed the trajectory of David's actions. She helped him to not feel remorse for what he did. Right? because we know God was, David was a man after God's own heart, and he would have felt remorse for what he had done to Nabal and the men there. So you don't have to, um, the beautiful part story of Abigail's story, is that you don't have to necessarily have people into your home to show hospitality. You can go to them. Abigail didn't have David and his 600 men to her house. That would have been quite the dinner party. But she took her hospitality, and she went to where he was with his men and brought hospitality to them. And I think that's so important for us to know. Even if we feel like we're, we don't have the space to properly accommodate people, you can bring hospitality wherever you go. Okay, the second thing I want us to look at is that hospitality makes us more like Christ. I, I really hope this is the whole point for you too, but the thing I want most in my life is to be more like Jesus. That is my whole hope in life, is that every day I'm working to become more like Jesus. And in that, I can become a better wife I could become a better mom. I could become a better pastor, a better friend, a better leader, a better employer, a better employee. Because when Jesus is living inside of us, he's causing us to become more like him. And we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And that should be our goal as Christ followers is to become more and more like Christ. And God is a relational God. And we are created in his image and therefore we are created for a relationship, right? Kind of goes down the line. Okay, God's relational. We're made like him. We're made for relationship. That's how we thrive. And there's this beautiful example of how Christ in us empowers us to become more hospitable. Um, And it's the story about Lydia in the New Testament. And there's really only two mentions of Lydia by name in scripture in Acts chapter 16. um, But I wanted to read it with you here this morning. So we, being Paul and Silas, uh, boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across the island Oh, Pastor Doug, you might have to help me with this uh, pronunciation here. Um, I'm going to say Samathros. Is that close? Maybe? No, it's not close. <laughs> uh, and the next day, we landed at Neapolis. From there, we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, who worshiped God. As she listened to to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. She said, if you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at our home. And she urged us until we agreed. The, um, the message person said she was filled with a surge of hospitality. But that insistence, right? Like she urged us until we said yes. And this beautiful example of how she came to know Christ, she heard the message of the gospel, and she was suddenly filled with this need to be hospitable, to say, like, come, come and be in my home, and how Christ just began to change her. She opened up her heart to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it suddenly began to change how she lived her life All right, finally, hospitality makes a space for something wonderful to happen. Um, As I was preparing for this message, I kept thinking about this story that I read in this book called Love Does by Bob Goff. Has anybody ever read that book? It's a really great book, and I'm not getting commission from the book, I promise. But it's, um, it's a beautiful example of how when you begin to show love in an extraordinary way, your life begins to change for the better. And um, there's one story that Bob tells in the book, and I'm going to try and summarize it for you. I may not do justice, so I would just suggest you read the book. Um, but he tells the story of a young na- man named Ryan. And uh, Bob and his wife had this house at the time, and they, in their backyard they would sit on their porch... And there was water behind their house on a little trail. And he said couples would often or people would often kind of walk on the trail and walk by. And as they walked by, they would wave. And he said it always reminded us of the times gone by where people actually waved at each other back and forth. And he said we loved it. We always just kind of sat in our back porch sitting coffee. We'd hold hands and people would walk by. And he said oftentimes there was couples and it was just a very sweet thing. And he says one day there was this young man who came down the path. And he stops and he waves at us. And so he said, me and my wife, stop and wave back. And he says, this young man just kept waving. And Bob kind of kept waving. And then he said the man didn't stop and it was getting awkward. So Bob got off of his deck because he figured this young man needs somebody to talk to, clearly. Um, and he goes down and he says, hey, I'm Bob. How can I help you? And the young man says, hi, my name's Ryan and I'm in love. And Bob says, oh, that's, that's great, right? I'm very happy for you. And he says, no, no, what I mean is I, I want to propose to my girlfriend, and I wanted to do it in your backyard. Would that be okay? And Bob says, he's kind of like tongue-tied for a second, he says, oh, sure, yeah. And he said, I'm in the habit of trying to say yes to as much as I can. And so he said yes to this young man. And this guy was so excited, and he said, oh, awesome, awesome. And he goes bounding down the path. And the next day, Bob and his wife are out on their deck, sipping coffee, holding hands, watching people walk by, waving, and guess who comes down the path? Ryan. So Ryan comes down the path, and Bob goes, Hey, Ryan, how are the wedding or the engagement plans coming together? How are things going? And he goes, Hi, um, Bob, I, I want to propose to my girlfriend. I'm in love. I want to get engaged, and I want to do it on your property. And Bob goes, Yeah. And he goes, But I was wondering, can I do it on your deck? <laughs> and Bob goes, Sure, Ryan, yeah, you can, you can propose to your girlfriend on my deck. Well, it keeps going. The next day, Ryan's back, and he has this other request. He would like to now have dinner with his girlfriend on their deck. And he would like his friends to serve dinner to them. And Bob says, sure. How many friends are we talking? Ryan goes, about 20. So now Bob and his wife have 20 people in their kitchen, using their kitchen to make dinner for this guy who is now asked to propose to his girlfriend on their deck, on their house. And uh, it keeps kind of escalating and escalating to the point where they're now having dinner on the deck, they have 20 people serving, they're now having a speaker hooked up to the outside of the deck by Bob because he wants to dance with his girlfriend before he proposes to her. And then he was hoping that maybe he could use Bob's boat and they could be taken out in the water uh, to a certain location and Bob would drive the boat, of course. And then um, it just kind of escalates and escalates. And Bob says, now I'm just fully intrigued. And he says, I'm actually like rushing home from work each day so I don't miss my daily visits with Ryan because these have become so intriguing to me. And he said, this guy's just head over heels in love and he can't wait to propose to his girlfriend. Well, uh, Bob decides to one-up Ryan. And he gets on the phone and he calls the Coast Guard. And he tells the Coast Guard about this young man and what's been happening over the past little while. And the Coast Guard kind of gets caught up and he says, okay, I'm in, I'm going to help you. And so they make this plan, unbeknownst to Ryan, um, to have the Coast Guard come up behind the boat where Bob is and set up all these water cannons and a big banner that says she said yes. So, um, yes, it's a very... It's a very Cool story. But, anyways, uh, so this all happens. The girlfriend is completely taken back and unsure about coming onto Bob's deck and eating at Bob's house and going onto Bob's boat. And she's just like, what is going on here, right? Um, And it turns out she says, yes, Ryan has also gone ahead and had 50 of his friends, this guy had a lot of friends, "um, on the beach on the opposite side of the water. And they've spelled out it with candles, will you marry me? And so they're all on the other side of the beach just in case Ryan forgets what he was trying to say or gets a little bit nervous. He has a backup plan in place. And so this all goes off beautifully. And, and Bob said, I was just so grateful that I had said yes to all these things, all these requests. And I was able to be part of this incredible story. Um, but there's just so much beauty that comes out of when we say yes to being hospitable, right? We don't know what's going to happen. I have um, a lot of acquaintances and friends, but these friends that I've had meals with it takes our relationship to a deeper level, right? When you share a meal with somebody, there's this trust that's just engaged and this beautiful opportunity for a relationship to happen. And um, I'm going to tell one more story about Bob Goff. In that same book, Love Does, just to show you how much he got this idea of being hospitable and saying yes to what God had for him, in the back of the book, he left his cell phone number. This guy is like a New York Times best-selling author, Okay. He leaves his cell phone number in the back of the book and said, like, if you ever need somebody to talk to, I'd love to have a chat with you. Well, a couple of years ago, in staff meeting here at Northview, um, yes, Pastor David uh, gets the idea that he's going to call Bob Goff. And he's going to just to see if Bob really gave out his real cell phone number. And just to see if Bob's really going to answer. Do you remember this, Marliese? Yes. Yeah. So David, as only David would do, who's married now, by the way. Crazy, right? He calls Bob, and lo and behold, Bob Goff answers the phone and says, hi, it's Bob. Who's this? And David goes, bright right. right. <laughs> and he's like, uh, uh it's uh, David Black from Northview Community Church, and uh, I just wanted to call him. Thank you for your book or something like that. I can't even remember what he said, because we're all like, are you kidding me? Is this actually happening right now? Well, Bob took a few minutes to offer some wise encouragement to our church staff and just to pray with us, but it just goes to show how when you open yourself up to opportunities of being known and being open to relationship, wonderful things can happen, and uh, Bob will always say, I've made friends that I'll have for life because I've said yes to what God has for me, and been yes and open to having people in my life. All right, how do we practice hospitality in a very practical way? You might say, I don't know even where to start, Pastor Kat. I don't don't know. It's been so long since I've had people in my home, or it's been so long since I've practiced hospitality. Well, all of you Lord of the Rings fans will appreciate this. Keep it simple. Keep it safe, okay? Jay, that's for you. Okay. Um, I would say barbecue. It's perfect right now, Wait, Throw a couple burgers in the barbecue, have people over onto your deck or on your front lawn, grab some lawn chairs, have a bonfire even. That's a great way of having hospitality. Dessert and coffee or tea, super simple. I remember as a kid going to one lady's house and I thought she had the best dessert ever. Turns out it was Sarah Lee cakes. Every week she would just grab a box or like a container of Sarah Lee cakes out of her freezer and serve it. I thought it was the best thing in the world. So really... Sara Lee cakes cost like $2.99, I think. They're pretty cheap. Or McCain's cake, keep it really simple. People will love it. And again, it's not as important about the food as it's important about the conversation that occurs and the relationship that gets to go deeper. Pizza, super simple. Pasta, go out, invite someone out to Swiss chalet with you. I used to work at Swiss chalet. There's all kinds of Christians there. You guys, that is the place to go. Uh, Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? Super simple. As I said at the beginning of my message, um, my parents were very hospitable as I was a kid growing up. And um, my mom is an incredibly gifted lady. She's so talented, so kind, one of the sweetest ladies you'll ever meet. And she has the gift of hospitality. But she will say herself, she does not cook. My mom does not enjoy cooking. She's not a cook. But she uh, would go to Costco, and she'd buy that big bag of those crispy buns or the crunchy buns, and she'd throw them in the oven for like five minutes, Till they're nice and warm, and then she'd serve them with jams and jellies and honey. And people would rave about Linda's buns and honey. I'm not even kidding. People loved coming over to our house for buns and honey, and it was just the thing that she did. She put on a pot of coffee and a pot of tea. Buns and honey is what people would have. Super simple, no cooking required. You do have to turn on the oven for the full effect, but really, it's fail-proof. You got this. Um, And no one walked away from our house having to get their stomachs pumped or um, having a terrible experience, they always came back to our home. And so there's something so significant about just keeping it simple, but keeping it sincere. Make sure your invitation is sincere. Who cares what the food's like? All right, here's our little takeout for this morning. You'll notice in the chair in front of you, or maybe underneath your seat, I had my girls help me with this on Friday night. There's a little card, it's about this big. And on the top of the card, um, it has our, our key verse together, just to help you remember it. And it's got three lines on it. I want you to take a minute right now. It's um, Maybe some of you guys will have the card in behind your chair. Little pockets. I don't actually know where all the cards ended up, if I'm going to be honest. The, um, the girls did help me with this. But go ahead and grab a card. I'm going to give you a minute right now to grab a card, write down three names on it of people you're going to invite to your home or choose to be hospitable towards in some way. Let's say in the next month. Let's try and bookend it end of June, maybe middle of July, if you really want to push it. Three people, okay? Go ahead and write that down now. I'm going to do the same thing, and uh, I'm making you do it now, because if you're like me, by the time you get home, you're going to forget that this was the whole point. You might even forget the message. I don't know. But let's do it right now. Uh, go ahead and write down three names of families, couples, individuals, however you want to do it. It could be people here at Northview. It could be people in your neighborhood. It can be people uh, that you meet at the grocery store. Maybe you have a, a certain cashier that you see often at the grocery store, and you think, you know what, I want to invite her over for a meal. All right, I'm going to give you 10 more seconds. So this morning, I want you to take those cards with you. And number one, I want you to keep memorizing the verse that's on the top there. And number two, I want you to just start flexing that hospitality muscle. In whatever way that looks like for you and for your family, um, just start flexing that hospitality muscle. Begin thinking about who you can have into your home. And as you leave this morning, I've got a pack of dinner napkins for you to take with you as another reminder, um, just to get that started on your way. So maybe one per family or one per person. um, But I just want you guys to have a tangible reminder to be hospitable, to act on that hospitality, that gift of hospitality or that mandate of hospitality. If you're one that doesn't really feel inclined to do it, you got this, I promise. Um, But before you go this morning, I really want us to go over this verse one more time, okay? You can stay seated. I'll let you sit down. Um, But let's go ahead and say it again on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Can I pray for you guys? Father, I just ask for a blessing on my friends this morning. I pray that you would infill them with a love for others. I pray that they would um, just have so much joy and find so much joy in the act of hospitality as they go out this morning. Father, I pray that the interactions that they have, the meals that they share together, um, that would just be fueled by your goodness, God that you would be shining so brightly in and through them as they serve and they host people. And God, that we would become more and more like you as we become more and more hospitable. So Father God, I pray that you would take away any fear and anxiety over the idea of having someone into our homes or someone into our lives. And God, that you would just bless our efforts and that we would become a people and a church community who shows hospitality and just goes out of their way to be hospitable people, God that we would be providing a place of a warm and friendly environment to both guests and strangers, Jesus. God, I pray more than anything else that you make us more like you. We love you so much, Father. And God, I love this church, and I pray blessing over each one of my friends here this morning. Amen. Well, thank you guys very much for indulging me this morning as I I brought you some things to think about, and I just pray blessing over you, my friends, and I pray that you know your love this week as you go out and you show love to each other. All right, thanks so much guys. Have a wonderful morning.